Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right. Uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here at Ponzi Vineyards with Maria Ponzi. It's uh, June 7th, 2019. Thanks so much for joining us today, Maria. Uh, let's start you off by asking you a very complicated question, which, which is why wine? Why wine? <laughs> uh, well, I guess, um, gosh, it's so sad to say this, but I was, I was born into it. It sounds like a silver spoon in a weird way, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, why wine? Because I have really eccentric, crazy, visionary, amazing parents um, who were um, some of the first to really consider the Willamette Valley as a place to grow cool climate vinifera, in particular Pinot Noir. And I guess I was along in the, in the backseat of the car when they drove up here, <laughs> and so there I was. Um, but I, um, I feel so fortunate to have had um, the life and the journey that I've had um, under kind of their wings. Uh, you know, it's all about wine, but there's a lot of other things that are involved with, um, mm -hmm. with wine that sometimes don't always get out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a magical product, but there's so many other things about it that keep me um, inspired and excited by, um, of course, the product, but just the industry and the community and um, the tide of the land is really pretty awesome. And uh, so, yeah, the whole thing. So why wine? Because it's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. You have a pretty unique perspective among most people we speak with in terms of having grown up in it in the very early days. So let's mm -hmm. talk about kind of your journey from growing up in it and then you went away and you came back. So let's kind of mm -hmm. talk about how you decided this was going to be what you were going to do. Yeah, so, well, as, as I'm sure many of you have heard the history of Oregon wine, um, the beginnings were quite humble, very modest beginnings, to say the least. I mean, we were all kind of putting this thing together. And um, so it certainly wasn't glamorous, and it wasn't romantic, and it wasn't any of those things that everyone thinks that it is. It was actually um, more like, you know, working on a farm. And um, it was a lot of work when we arrived here in 1969, we uh, arrived to a patch of weeds, about 12 acres of just weeds. I was told it was a strawberry field, but I never saw a strawberry. <laughs> um, and uh, a little tiny shack, less than 1,000 square feet, one bedroom, little place where um, you know, our parents put the three kids up on bunk beds. And um, that was home. And we had come from um, the sunny skies of California, Northern California. And so this was a very, very big change for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we arrived, it was raining and gray. It was Oregon. So putting it all together to where we are today um, is pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. We started making wine in our garage. Um, we. Oh my goodness, we started the vineyard um, planting, not really knowing how to plant. Um, we were all under the age, the kids were all under the age of seven, I think at that time. I was five years old, my brother was seven, Louisa, my sister was three, and that was the original crew, right? That was the, <laughs> okay, let's plant a vineyard. So um, we certainly weren't experts and we didn't have a lot of equipment, and so it was just kind of doing it. And I think like, that's the fun part is that we actually pulled it off 
it was supposed to be an experience, it was supposed to be an adventure, and um, what do you know, it, it turned into an industry. So it's, it's been a, a great journey for me in particular. You know, I, I'm the middle child, so I was the rebel child. I was the one who, you know, wanted to do anything but what we were doing. <laughs> you know, I was not intrigued by planting a vineyard at, at all. I hated it. Um, I didn't like pruning. I didn't like tucking under the vine. I didn't like any of the vineyard work. In fact, I, I often would complain that I was going to have a heat stroke if I was out there much longer because it was like at least 75 <laughs> degrees. Um, so the vineyard work wasn't my thing. Um, and then when harvest would come and, and, and time to be in the cellar, that didn't suit me either because that meant being in a dark room and cold and wet and sticky and schlepping equipment and it was just like messy and awful. So that didn't suit me. So um, it wasn't a place I wanted to be. The only part that intrigued me ever so slightly was when I would hear my mother um, late at night on the typewriter. Mm -hmm. And she would be writing a letter to a wholesaler hoping to get distribution or sending a letter to the press hoping to get um, a score or a mention of our wine or sending out a, a press release about a new wine when we finally had wine. And that's when I, you know, I liked that part. I liked sitting next to her. I was intrigued by that piece of, of this, whatever it was that we were doing. And, um, I would often hide away to my room, you know, with my heat stroke and, uh, <laughs> and write in my journal and write to my pen pals and I really enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up being a journalism major in school. It was always my love and my retreat, my escape, I guess. And um, so I got through um, uh, University of Oregon in about three and a half years and couldn't wait to get away from Oregon. <laughs> I didn't want to be caught up in this wine thing so I moved to Boston very quickly and I worked there for about three, almost four years and um, I was in the advertising industry. I, I worked for a publication. I was never able to do what I really wanted to do which was to write mm -hmm. and be an editorial. But I learned a lot about marketing. I learned a lot about sales during that period and um, the way it worked for me is I was offered a position to take over the Southeast regional sales and I was all of, I don't know, 24, 25 at the time. And um, the promise of making a lot of money was really enticing to me, but I also knew that it was nothing that was challenging. It wasn't that interesting to me. And so I called uh, my father, who I've always um, really respected and said, okay, this is the situation. And he said, well, I think that making money is a great idea, but you know, if you want to come back, there's lots going on at the winery. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like, you know, 19, um, well, this is after Domaine Duran had moved in. And so there were people making some, uh, some claims here in the valley that were putting some real investment down. And um, my father was starting to get some accolades for his winemaking, which was shocking to me because I didn't know he knew how to make wine, you know? <laughs> what do you know? So things, I, had, I was getting the idea that things had happened or were happening back here, but I wasn't so sure. So I, um, I took a year off. I, I traveled um, uh, around the world, um, backpacked around the world, and then I, I came home and um, found that there was plenty to do. Uh, and so my mother was really gracious and kind of um, sort of passing along a lot of what she had been doing, which is the marketing and the sales and promotion. And so I really found my, my place. And, um, and it's been just like 
super fun ever <laughs> since. I mean, it's been really busy and never stops, but it, but I found my way. And it is a little bit of a different path. I know that the, that um, when people think about wineries, they think mainly about viticulture and winemaking, but there's this whole other piece of it and um, that is often not talked about. It's not quite as, as um, sexy, perhaps, mm -hmm. but but it truly is essential if you are going to have um, a sustainable operation and allow people to make wine and allow um, vineyards to grow and, and do all the things that we do, which is to be sustainable and, and, um, and thrive, thriving. Uh, so, so the marketing uh, component of this operation has always been really um, very important to our, our family and to our business and I think ultimately to, uh, to the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we go forward, I want to back up just a second to your, you talk about, you had some great memories there of growing up in the, uh, on the vineyard and, uh -huh. and, and trying to avoid it as much as possible. I'm curious <clears throat> if there's any kind of specific memories you have of mm. moments uh, early on in, in, in Oregon wine that were, uh, that, something that happened that you remember really well or, or, or snapshots. Oh, um, just a lot of long hours, you know, in the dirt and and the dust and then rain and mud. Um, yeah, I you know there were so many things. It was it was planting the mm -hmm. vineyard. That was a that was took a long time. Um, putting little you know for a kid it's like a little twig you know and they're considered precious and they're from California and it's all this important material and it's like whatever it's a twig you know and you throw it in the ground. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think for for me and probably for my siblings too, it was uh, a a bit of a shamefulness that we had because we we had a vineyard you know when we planted the 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 twigs, <clears throat> the cuttings, we would cover them with um, milk cartons. And the milk cartons came from the Alpenrose Dairy, the local dairy. We got a great deal. Like everything, like everything that we did in the early days, everything was on the cheap. Everything was, can we get a deal on this? Can we get a deal on that? And of course, um, you know, sharing all the material, sharing the bean poles, sharing the cartons, sharing the, you know, the, the glue petals, uh, pellets for our labels. I mean, we shared everything. Mm -hmm. Somebody would buy it and then we would share it. And because we, we didn't have resources and we didn't need a lot. But um, so we would put these milk cartons over the, the, the little baby plant to protect it from the sun and the weeds. And so our vineyard was situated so that it was out in front of the house, but beyond it, about a quarter of a mile is where we would uh, get on the school bus. And so when the school bus would come, they'd look back, the entire school bus would look back on this crazy piece of land that was covered in milk cartons, <laughs> you know? And this is in a time when nobody, planting a vineyard is crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, wine is something we don't talk about. Wine grapes is nothing. Uh, grape growing, these are terms that are not, these are not common words, okay? So, so when you get on the school bus and they say, what are you guys doing with all those milk cartons? Um, and the response is, well, my parents are planting a vineyard, they wanna make wine. <laughs> Uh, you're laughed at, you know, you're ridiculed because, and especially for us, we were in an agriculture area um, known for, you know, hazelnuts and berries and apples and, and real crops, you know, legitimate <laughs> agriculture. Um, so there was a lot of, um, yeah, we were ashamed for a long time. And I was a very shy person mm -hmm. and I just, uh, I just wanted to just disappear. 
So I don't know if that's really about vineyard, but that's certainly what it was like to grow up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was what it felt like to be a kid. And, you know, we never, we were never Girl Scouts. I never was able to be a cheerleader. I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. Um, my mother allowed me to um, get involved in school politics. Mm -hmm. So that was an approved <laughs> extracurricular activity. <laughs> I think back now she probably had a reason for that. But um, I'm sure she had a reason. But you know, I was not allowed to go, you know, be in any kind of sports or athletics. I mean, we were at home mm -hmm. working. Uh, they needed us. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't as if it was just for fun. It's, they actually needed us. They needed our, our labor. Mm -hmm. And so it was, that meant every weekend, um, you know, summers, we didn't go to Disneyland. I heard about Disneyland. I heard it was a really cool place you could go. But we were never gonna go to Disneyland because that was the busy time before harvest. You know, that's our busiest time in the vineyard. So that's where we spent our days. Um, um, but you know, we would water, we watered every little plant for years, getting the, the plant started uh, with a garden hose from the, um, from the house and, um, you know, I just, everything was, 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 was hard. I mean, my dad was, um, was hoeing because, you know, he wanted to be an organic farmer. <laughs> so he would be out with his hoe and hoe around all, I mean, you know, 12 acres is a lot. And to do one by one, um, and my mother was really the crew when we went to school, mm -hmm. and my father took a job teaching um, school. He, he taught mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. But so my mother was the one who would, you know, have to really do a lot of the vineyard work while we were all at school. And I mean, it wasn't, it, it was an acre that would have been fun, maybe. But to do 12 acres, it's, it's, that's labor. <laughs> and um, and there, we had to make it work because we had invested in it. Mm -hmm. You know, they had invested mm -hmm. in it. Um, you know, we planted in uh, the first little nursery row in 1969, established the vineyard in 1970, and by 1974, we had our first vintage. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great, but we can't sell most of that until 1976. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you think seven years of really just putting your time in mm -hmm. and crossing your fingers and hoping that someone might buy a bottle you know, at five dollars, mm -hmm. um, it was that was that was kind of a big deal. And obviously, as you get older, you realize that kind of sacrifice mm -hmm. um, and and the commitment that they had to have to making this thing work. Mm -hmm. So I was I was not really aware of all that was going on. It was just to me just lots of work, man. <laughs> Can we just go play. You know? <laughs> all work and no play. Yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> so I want to talk about. I'm curious the from when you kind of left, went to school, went yeah. to Boston, went around and came back, what were the differences you noticed uh, in, in Ponzi specifically and in Oregon in general in that kind of, in that, with that missing time? Yeah, that was a really exciting time um, for the Willamette Valley, uh, in, for sure. And I think it was from, um, you know, when I, uh, when I left in um, uh, mid-80s to when I came back in early 90s, that was sort of when things started clicking. So if you go back and you look at you know, that's when the IPNC, the International Pinot Noir Celebration started. Um, obviously that meant all of these international visitors coming in and obviously the French producers from Burgundy um, getting very excited about what's going on here. Of course, Domaine Durand then actually, um, you know, planting and um, securing their property. Um, Montenor Vineyards, um, Washington County was established, which at that time was a pretty stately affair. I mean, it still is, but it was pretty grand. Um, there were, I mean, Sokol Blosser had always been around, but they had 
add increase like their tasting room so that was mm -hmm. new to me um, when I came back I took a drive around and I was just I was I was blown away by um, the, the big wineries that had come in. And what I mean by that is that up until that time, we were all working in our garage. Mm -hmm. We all had garages. I mean, nobody had, I can't think of anyone who had a winery. Nobody had a winery, you know? And, and here, we, here I was driving around and going to wineries, like buildings that had been, in, you know, mm -hmm. put up specifically mm -hmm. for making wine and vineyards that were coming in. And I think at the same time, a, that was really when we started to see some viticultural changes too. So we had sort of honed, I should say the community sort of had honed in on um, how to plant in the cool climate, you know, how to trellis properly, where to plant, the fact that we could go up on elevations. Those were things that, you know, when I left, we weren't really looking at that stuff, um, or very little. Mm -hmm. um, clonal research, things like that had just, had kind of started coming into play. People were really looking beyond Pomard and Vadensville and exploring those ideas. Mm -hmm. um, Chardonnay, actually, Dijon clone, uh, Mr. Adelsheim had brought back some Dijon clone Chardonnay, and that had, had just started to get planted in, the, in, in 1990, and I, I came back just after that. Um, Pinot Gris had, had just flown to the top. Um, again, King Estate came in, and I'm like, what? You know, King Estate's doing what? They're doing 100,000 cases, and, and it's all about Pinot Gris. And I went, whoa, how is this happening? When I left, Pinot Gris was, a, you know, we were selling in a little half bottle, a little split, and, and, and you know, there's David Lett and David Haas, and my, my dad running around trying to sell Pinot Gris, trying to get people interested in Pinot Gris so that they would maybe take Pinot Noir. And here's this big company from Washington that's doing this. So it was... Um, it was just an eye-opening period, mm -hmm. I think, um, for the industry. A lot of hap a lot of things happened. Even in, I would say, in this five to ten years, right in there, mm -hmm. the eighty from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety, or eighty-five to ninety-five sure. for sure. And we had some great vintages. I mean, we also, along this whole period, we were obviously the winemakers were all trying to hone their skills. Right, they were trying to create a good bottle of wine, despite the vintage, which was the biggest challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but by this time, by you know mid '90s, early '90s, they'd had you know an opportunity at least of having ten vintages in a row. So they were they were building on that mm -hmm. that that experience, and they were able to produce better wines. And then the press um, kind of was taking a look. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was 1988 that my dad got. Um, he was noted as the one of the top 15 best winemakers in the world, and that was 1988. So a lot of things really magical important moments happened in those those years, I mm -hmm. think, while I was away. <laughs> and then I came back and went, oh my goodness, something's happened. Mm -hmm. Very exciting time. So when you, when you came back and you decided that this was, or you started to decide this is what you're going to do, what was it like kind of, kind of merging in back into the family business and sort of finding your role? Well, I think coming back, Coming back to family business is, 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 um, is really interesting <laughs> because you, well, especially for me, I think also because I was not only coming back, but I had been living on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a whole different pace over there. <laughs> and, um, and I liked that pace. Mm -hmm. I liked moving quickly. I, I, w I was into that. I'm, I'm, I tended to be a little more um, aggressive when I came back. I, I mean, people were always like, God, you're so 
hyped up, calm down, you know. And I was like, I'm, I'm so chill over there, you guys. <laughs> so there was the East Coast, West Coast thing that I had to kind of get back into that. And then coming to work with my family was very different. Um, I had a boss when I was in Boston mm -hmm. and I had, you know, work associates and now I had my brother and my parents. So how do you work together? Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd always worked together, so I don't think it was a big jump. It wasn't like we were a family that sat around and, I don't know, talked about Father's Day. I mean, we, I don't know what normal families do. <laughs> um, but we were always like, I mean, our family stuff was like, okay, what are we gonna do on Saturday? We're gonna do this and this. Are the labels in? Did you know, did, what's the, what is the sugar like, Dick? You know, I mean, our table conversations uh, were always about wine. Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever knew that I had a boyfriend. You know, I don't think they, and if they did, they didn't care. That was like, that's fine. Um, so, so we, as a family, we were always talking about the business. Um, so when I came back, it wasn't probably that great of a leap, mm -hmm. but it was different in that I, I realized that, I very early realized that, A, it's gonna be hard to ever leave this now. <laughs> You're kind of chained down. And then number two, I am going to have the best days. When we have a killer day, you know, it is the best day. Like, you feel like, man, there's nothing we can't do. Mm -hmm. But then when you have a bad day, like you have an argument with your brother or something, those are bad days. Like, they, you really hit these very low lows mm -hmm. and very high highs. Because you know you can't leave very easily. You're frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated but you still want in, mm -hmm. you still want to be a piece of it. So, so you learn a lot about how you, how you act, you know, and maybe more than I would if I just worked for somebody, you know, because I can always quit. If it's really too much, I'm done. I love you, bye. So you have to work it out. And I think that that's something that, again, maybe isn't talked much about, but family businesses and that whole dynamic is really, um, is, is pretty uh, important piece of, of having a sustainable mm -hmm. operation. So, so that was different. I think um, it was nice to see that my mother um, took my advice on some things. You know, like I came back with a little experience. Mm -hmm. I came back with a, a, something to offer. Mm -hmm. And that was important to me too, is that I didn't want to come back and just, you know, be Dick and Nancy's daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, eh. mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to contribute. And I think it was good that I went back east, actually, um, even though it wasn't specifically in wine. Uh, I did learn a lot and I felt that I could contribute. And so that was great. And the fact that she listened to me and was able to kind of, over time, really pass full responsibilities of marketing and sales over to me mm -hmm. in a pretty short time was great. And I loved working, I still loved working with her. I mean, even today, you know, she's not here regularly, but I still love working with her. Like, she's just so brilliant. And um, my dad's the same way. And I think that that's why probably this, this winery has survived into a second generation because of Dick and Nancy who were just so willing to share their information with us and really wanting to share. You know, they, they, they wanted to, um, yeah, share their experience with us, but they also wanted to hear from us. It was a very open kind of relationship and I think that that has been the magic of Ponzi, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has those healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to have them. You, like I said, you have to be very conscious of, of if you want to, if you want to be in it, how you're going to act and and how you're going to, you know, behave and treat your your siblings and your your folks. 
So. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you treat your, how you kind of learn how to work with the uh, with your siblings and yeah. with your parents, and and how it felt when you were finally sort of taking the reins over and and, and that sort of transition into uh, yeah. the second generation. Well, I think um, initially, initially, um, you feel that you need to follow tightly mm -hmm. in the shadow. Um, because everybody loves Dick and Nancy and Ponzi's successful apparently. Um, so you don't want to mess it up. You know, you just want to just follow. And it's like anything. And then you take a chance. And probably for me, um, it was the Oregon Wine Board. I, I jumped on the board early on. And um, I had to kind of be in a room among other folks that had been in the industry and, and were not as young as I was. Um, and I had to figure out how that was all going to work. And I, I kind of had to earn my, my wings that way. So that was, that was probably my first step of, of stepping away and out of the shadow a little bit and making a name for myself. Mm -hmm. And that felt good. And then I kind of kept doing that. And I kept taking more and more chances, you know. And then I would go and sell wine in Pennsylvania. And I would, it was successful. And so I'd feel like, okay, I can do this. Or I'd go to Boston and do a wine dinner. And I'd be like, hey, people liked it. That was good. You know, so I started venturing out, trying new things, and simultaneously, obviously, my folks had seen, could, you know, feel, felt confident that I was, I was okay. Mm -hmm, you know, it was mm -hmm. good to let me go. But, um, but it was slower, slower steps. And I think that, and, and not, I don't want to get into this too much, but I definitely think that there's something, too, about being a woman and being a daughter. <laughs> you know, because the girl thing, it did apply. I was sort of just Dick's little daughter. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like that changed my approach too. I realized I, have, I had to really know my stuff. I had to be really strong. I pulled from my East Coast kind of training of, you know, be persistent and be aggressive. Um, and that helped too. Mm -hmm. um, because I think being a daughter, uh, it, it, it was a little bit more tricky. I, and I think Louisa would agree too, mm -hmm. um, for us to learn how to, how to deal with the outside world. Even though we had all this background, it was, it was different for us coming from the female perspective. Um, but yeah, I think that there were slow steps and then you had another question though that I wanted to tap, their secondary question within that. Sort of how you fit in oh, the family. Oh, how I fit in the family, yeah. how it works now, yeah. yeah. So I think that um, uh, the, the, the first thing that's really important is that you um, set roles for each other and you don't try to take over someone else's job. And for me, fortunately, I have no interest in being a winemaker. <laughs> I have no interest in being, you know, the vineyard manager. Trust me, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, that is not my thing. I don't want it. Louisa loves it. Like, she loves production and she's great at it. And you know what? She hates dealing with people. She's really crummy at sales. I mean, she can do it, but she's not good at it. I mean, she'll do it, because um, she has to do it. But, um, but I love it. Like, I thrive in that kind of mm -hmm. uh, zone. I love the challenge of it. I love having a goal and getting it and then going to the next one. I mean, that's, that's me. So, so I found my groove and my place, and I love marketing. I love um, the diversity of marketing. I love aesthetics. I love all that stuff. Um, that is part of marketing. So for me, that's my world, and I love it, and she doesn't, and I don't love her world. So it works. In, in our situation, it really works, and we try to just build each other up in, in, in those capacities. Um, 
and again, the parent thing, I, they're, they've just been really open about it all and supportive of it all. Mm -hmm. So I haven't really had to, I, I, I haven't felt like I had to prove anything to them mm -hmm. for a while, for a long while now, actually. You, you talked about um, kind of uh, p pushing your borders or like going to the wine board and kind of pushing boundaries. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm curious if there came a time when you, when you tried something or made a decision that the other, they didn't approve of or something that they hadn't tried before and didn't, didn't necessarily want to do <laughs> and took Ponzi in a different direction than before and how that went. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, even in the wine industry, I would have to say that... Um, even in those board meetings with the wine board, I remember feeling like, wow, people aren't where I'm at. You know, because I want, there was this thing, and only certain people remember this, but there was a brochure a long, long time ago that had all the wineries located, you, you will know because you, know, you have history, but it was called the Dis Discover mm -hmm. Oregon brochure, and it had maybe 50 wineries in it. And so when I showed up, I was like, We've been running this Discover Oregon for, I don't know, 10 years. I said, by now, we've been discovered. <laughs> Have we not? <laughs> um, you know, and people will look at me like, oh, what is she talking about? And, and I'm like, we've been discovered. So let's not use that word discover because it, it's, it's, it sounds like we're new, but we're not new. We're, we're going into 20 years here. So let's, let's be experienced us, you know, or whatever the term, I can't remember. But I remember kind of feeling at that moment like, I don't know if everyone's on board with me. I'm tired, like I feel like we've been doing this forever, but maybe not everybody's where I'm at. So I had to settle back a little bit and realize that it, it couldn't be my way, especially in that, in that venue, it was, it, was a, it was a poor decision. At the winery, um, there was a moment when, um, well, there was a few, and there have been several, actually, now that I think about it, but you know, Louisa, when Louisa came back in uh, 93, she and I decided to do something fun with our wines. We felt our wines were very traditional, and so we created this ice wine, and um, it was a sweet wine, and it, I, I wanted to call it something funny, so we call it Vino Gelato, which was frozen wine. It's a really silly name, but it's we're still selling it. Um, and it was Riesling, and it was from the estate, the original plantings of Riesling, and um, so that was something, that was a new, a new um, product we came out with, a new wine we came out with. And then um, the wine bar, uh, that whole idea, the concept that we created in Dundee back in the um, 90s, that was really my brainchild of, of I wanted to, um, for marketing purposes, I wanted to be on Highway 99 because here we are tucked back in you know, Washington County behind Beaverton and mm -hmm. there are no wineries here, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like maybe Nike, but there are no wineries. Um, and I wanted to be on the route, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be by Sokol Blosser. I wanted to be by Domaine Duran. So the idea of building something along the highway came to me. We didn't have much wine. Um, so the idea was maybe we can do a, a regional wine bar where we can bring in some of the smaller producers and showcase their wines as well as ours because we couldn't just be a Ponzi tasting room. We didn't have, we didn't have the volume. And then the idea of having a regional taste or restaurant mm -hmm. was part of that concept because uh, up in, and this is like 1998. So this up until this time, there are no restaurants um, and really McMinnville has Nick's, but it's pretty limited as well. And I felt like, again, maybe being a little ahead of it, I felt like the wine travelers need a place to have lunch and dinner, you know, and not, not try to find a place and not go to McDonald's every time they come down here. So. So that was, um, that was a big 
big step, but um, that was one of my ideas. And then the Wine Walk of Fame was a fun little thing I did in, two, in, in 2004 where I wanted to recognize some of the pioneers um, on that little Walk of Fame we have there. Um, we also introduced um, the Tavola, which is a label that we, we have now, which was a, kind of a, a first-tier Pinot Noir, kind of a lower-tier mm -hmm. Pinot Noir for um, getting out to more people. Mm -hmm. That came out in the Oof, <clears throat> when did that come out? Uh, late 90s, um, maybe early 2000s. It was right after 9-11, um, right so yeah. And it was also the same time that a lot of new people had come into the Willamette Valley and they, um, Pine Ridge was here, not Pine Ridge, but um, Archery Summit. Um, and those $70 bottles of Pinot were everywhere. Everyone had $50 and above and and in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's great, but how are we going to bring in more people? How are we going to continue to build this brand of Willamette Valley Pinot Noir? Mm -hmm. So the idea of Tavola was to reach those masses at a $15 price point um, with a really high quality Pinot Noir. And so Tavola was released, and that was a very successful mm -hmm. thing for us. So we've done a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we up here, you know, the tasting room, the whole, the whole hospitality is is really um, has been my vision and it's been so far successful <laughs> yeah. so little things along the way how would you uh, d how would you what is your job like day to day how would you describe your job day to day crazy <laughs> it's crazy um, it's always been crazy I think I mean from the moment I came back um, I think, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe this is different too between being a marketer and not being a winemaker. Because in marketing, the, the projects are endless, right? I mean, you can just keep going and going and going. There's just more you could do, more you could do, more you could do. So it's hard to ever stop. So I'm doing marketing, but I'm also doing sales. Sales is the same way. <laughs> There's always another sale to make. You know, you have to keep going. So it's, it's pretty exhausting that way. And um, I've been kind of the helm of both of those for all these years. Um, so I, I have a lot of hats going on. But over time and with growth, I've been able to hire people, which has been so wonderful mm -hmm. um, to help support all these great ideas that I think that I have. And then for people to tell me that was a bad idea or that's a good one, you know, <laughs> I love collaborating. And I think that that's something that I got from my folks. I just, I would never be able to do this by myself. I love working with people. And so um, my day is like bouncing from now, my tasting room manager to my event manager to my, I have a, we have a chef now, um, to my social media specialist and my graphic designer and my marketing manager. I mean, I'm popping around to all these different people that I've entrusted the brand to um, and kind of keeping them energized and keeping them focused on what what we're all about mm -hmm. and hopefully still true to the roots you know mm -hmm. um but i'm i'm still once in a while writing some copy i'm writing copy <laughs> once in a while or taking a photo or what you know kind of getting back to the basics mm -hmm. creating labels you know we've been doing a lot of private labels recently which is fun so i get to, to play you know aesthetic director or whatever creative director occasionally so i just get to do a lot of things and i i think that that's been a thrill and i'm so fortunate to be able to do all this stuff that i love to do so so your original question, why wine? That's why, because you get all this other stuff. It's all bonus. Everything that I get to do is bonus. 
from wine. <laughs> you don't have to get dirty or wet or cold or Just hot. occasionally, <laughs> which is fine. And I don't mind, you know, Harvest, Luisa and I have an understanding that, you know, I go and work Harvest. Now that doesn't mean I work Harvest. It doesn't mean I'm eight weeks in, no way. But, but I do get down there because it's really important. Um, and I get in the vineyard too. And I'm not, I'm not working the vineyard. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm working the vineyard, but I definitely am out there, you know, and I'm punching cards, I'm talking to the guys, and I'm, you know, and I get back into it. And it feels good, you know, it feels like, okay, I still understand what's happening out here. I may not know every minutia like, like my vineyard guys. I don't, I'm not even gonna pretend to. But I definitely still love the feeling now that I get from being in the vineyard. And it's like, it's more like grounding. It's more like, okay, I get it. It's still from these beautiful, and I love driving in every day and walk, you know, you drive through the vineyard and you're just like, hi guys, <laughs> so good to see, thanks for coming back, because we gotta pay this damn mortgage, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's how I'm at. <laughs> but, um, but I love being in the vineyard, um, you know, but not for hours. I still don't wanna be there for hours. I might like it better. It could be like yoga now. I don't know. Maybe I'd like it. Um, but, random. But the, um, the winery work, yeah, no. Still, mm -mm, don't get it. Not charming. Don't understand it. Uh, I'll do punch downs. I'll get in. Louisa made me clean out a tank once recently, couple, couple, recently, two years ago. And I'm like, I'm in there. In a rain, now we have rain jackets. This is cool. We have like hooded really special equipment now so we got boots and stuff we didn't have that when I was a kid but you know so you're supposed to be so and then you're reaching up and all of a sudden you know the skins just fall right down your sleeve and that gooey sticky stuff's all over your body it's in your hair and you're like no no I hate this stuff man get me out of here so and I usually mess something up I usually don't turn something off on time or close it or clamp right or whatever so that's good because then I'm out mm -hmm. she's like it's like heat stroke again. It's like, oh, Maria, get the hell out of here. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> but I try it. Every year I try again. And every year I'm like pretty sure that, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you found the role that fits you best here. Yeah, I just keep confirming it. <laughs> but it's awesome because lots of people love it. So it's great. <laughs> Never an endless, endless supply of people who want to go get dirty. Yeah. How, how would you describe your business slash marketing slash sales philosophy? What would your what would you say your guiding philosophy is when you're selling Ponzi wine? Um, well, I mean, like vintages, sales is like a rodeo too, you know. And there are great years, and then there are tough years. Um, <clears throat> the last, I would say, five years have been especially challenging for us. Um, just because of all the influx of new new people in, in the industry, mm -hmm. which means, and not just here in the Willamette Valley, but just new to the category of Pinot Noir. Because you have to understand, when we started, nobody knew about Pinot Noir. So now everybody knows about it. So the, the, the floodgates are open, and so the way that I may have marketed in the past and sold, um, I've found myself changing slightly. And I wouldn't say in a way that I prefer, um, but we live in a world that is highly competitive, um, a marketplace that is all about consolidation and mergers and acquisitions and um, bigger is better, which is absolutely 
in conflict with uh, my philosophy and our family's philosophy, and I would have to say probably the original community here. Mm -hmm. um, but yet it is what it is. And if you want to be here, and you be here meaning you want to be a family-owned, operated winery, mm -hmm. you have to kind of play around with the sharks. And so I found myself having to, to do things that I don't want to do. Um, I mentioned private labels. I really don't like doing private labels, but the world is where it is now where I, it's very hard for me to sell some of our larger volume wines unless we partner with them mm -hmm. in doing private labels. Mm -hmm. um, I used to, uh, <laughs> this is so funny, I used to invite buyers to have dinner, you know, um, to build a relationship, and now I'm being told by cer certain buyers, big buyers, if you want your if you want your wine to be sold here, you need to host a dinner for us with X amount of guests at X amount of cost. See, that seems backwards to me, mm -hmm. and that really hurts my heart because that's I don't want to play like that. I don't want to play like that. I feel like I have a really beautiful product and a something that is, should be enjoyable to everybody, and yet I'm up against this other stuff now. So I haven't quite figured it out, mm -hmm. but I would say that I really preferred sales in the 90s and the 2000s when it was, let me tell you our story. Mm -hmm. You know, let me share with you what it is that we do and why, why this place is so special and why this wine is so special. And then maybe we'll talk to you about why my brand in particular is special. Mm -hmm. But it was always really about selling the valley. Mm -hmm. And it was about selling Pinot Noir from this place. And now it's like, Ugh. it's a little bit ugly. It's a little uglier out there. But, but here we are. And we're, you know, we've provided a great life, not just for ourselves, but for all these people who work with us, including mm -hmm. our amazing vineyard crew that I care very much about. So I have a responsibility as a business owner now, that's the other hat, right, that I have a responsibility to think of ways to be creative and maintain this, mm -hmm. you know, for the future, and my kids too. So, so I may not like it as much, but I have to figure out a way to, to do it and so get some enjoyment out of it. So I, I'm working that balance. Mm -hmm. I'm working that balance. I think that's why this place, developing um, our new winery property was really important to me and also to Louisa so that we can stay true to our roots here at least. So we can go fight the battles, you know, <laughs> elsewhere. But at home, we're going to treat our, great, you know, our guests really well. We're going to have great wines here and do things the way we feel like mm -hmm. we really want to present them. So, so, you know, we have a little claim now here mm -hmm. <laughs> to do that. Let's talk about that, the, the new building, well, not as new as it was when I was first here, I yeah. guess, but new-ish building here. Talk about the kind of the impetus to start it, and you mm -hmm. talk about kind of this is your, your design in a lot yeah. of ways. So what were you going for, and what was the, what was the hope, and, and did, you, did, you, <laughs> did you get there? Yeah, super fun. Um, so I remember the day very well. I was in my office down at the original property, which mm -hmm. was actually the old TV room of the house. <laughs> so my first office was on top of the garage in the broom closet, seriously, a real broom closet. I'm not, I mean, it was small. And I was there for a long time. And then we moved, we took over the family house and that became our office. And then we finally, you know, had this moment and it was my brother who came in the door 
and he said, we got to talk. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, well, Luis is making like 20,000 cases, and we can't keep making wine like this. It's crazy. She spends more time figuring out logistics. I mean, we're still in this tiny little garage. You know, it's a great garage for 3,000 cases, but she's doing 20,000 cases. Um, and I'm like distracted because Maria's got always too many things going on. And I said, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He goes, I think we need to make the decision either we're going to stay here and we're going to reduce our, our volume or we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to, you know, take it to the future. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at that time, I had two kids. He had two kids. Louisa had two. And then she announced later she had two more. So all of a sudden, she has four. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, you know, the business hat goes on. How do we provide for all these families, including our folks, if we're only going to tap if we're going to tap out at twenty thousand cases at prices that are pretty decent, but we probably can't go much higher? So you start working through your business plan, and he was right. It was time to either this is where we're going to settle in. Someone's got to go get another job, you know, <laughs> or we're going to make this. We're going to grow it a little bit. So that was the decision. It was a decision that Louisa and my brother and I made, and. Um, the folks were standing by. You know, they were not opposed to it. They were standing by. And, um, but as soon as we found this property, which is just five miles down the road on a beautiful hillside, um, and we told our father, hey, you can design the building, the winery, he got super psyched. Because, <laughs> he, you know, he was, you know, he's a mechanical engineer. For all these years, all he ever wanted to do was make wines in a really sustainable, gentle fashion, which meant gravity flow. Mm -hmm. Gentle handling was paramount to him. I mean, he was moving wine in buckets and little vessels and, you know, funnels and just no pumps and everything was gentle, 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 everything. So for him to now have an opportunity to design his dream facility and the kids were gonna take the loan, you bet, you know. So, um, so that's what happened. So he uh, he went to work drafting his dream facility, Gravity Flow, built into the hillside, mm -hmm. and um, we planted out the, the. It's a forty-acre piece. We planted out about twenty-some acres in vine, uh, but really it was all about having the winery there. We moved up in two thousand and eight, had our first harvest here, and um, and I stayed down at the original place for five years until we you know, could get our resources together. There was a little thing called the market crash in 2009. Uh, so that was fun, that put a spin on things. Um, but we kind of got through that. And um, I just stayed put, I was still hosting people down in the original little, little shack as our tasting room and bringing them up to the, you know, show off the vineyard and then going back down. It was a crazy five years. Um, and then it was like, okay, it's been five years. I need an office, and I want to be up on the hill with my sister because she has a great view, and I don't. Um, and we need a new tasting room. So, because at that time, actually, too, the tasting room had we had started to see lines in front of our little tasting room, which was sort of crazy. Wow. But I mean, it was a tiny little tasting room, 800 square feet, and we're next to suburbia. So. Um, so at that point, it was turning to my husband, who's a, a designer, um, a design build company, and I said, hey, how about you and I design the next phase? So we built out the offices and um, a tasting room, and, and the tasting room was very, very well thought out by me because I had seen 
decades of tasting, you know, I knew what we needed in a tasting room and I wanted to push it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to create a place where people could sit and soak it all in and look out and get a sense of the, when we talk about rolling hills, what does that look like? When we talk about diversity of agriculture, what does that look mm -hmm. like? When we say the Cheyenne Mountains, where are they? Where is the coast? Where is the mountain? And so to have this amazing view, I wanted to capture that for our guests. I wanted them to be able to sit there, breathe in this beautiful air, and look over the vineyards, you know, become part of it. Um, and that meant having, for me, it meant having a seated experience, with, which meant now I've got to get a staff of 10 instead of two. Mm -hmm. And all, this table, all these tables and furniture. And, uh, but it was very deliberate. I wanted to make sure the guests were safe, so I didn't want it just sprawling all over the place. I wanted it, you know, there were things like that we thought about, concept. Um, and, um, and then we opened up, and I, I was scared to death, right? You know, it's like, here we are in the middle of nowhere. Again, we're still Washington County, hello. We're over here. Um, I thought nobody would come another five miles. I was for sure. And here I had set up, what, like 80 seats or something. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, I really hope this works. So what do you know? Everyone showed up. Every seat was full. And they didn't know what to do. The first guests came in and they didn't know what to do. And I'm like, you can sit anywhere. They're like, what? Sit? What do we do? Is this a restaurant? Is it a bar? Is it a restaurant? Is it a resort? Like, we've never done this before. How does this work? <laughs> so we all figured it out together. And, uh, you know, we dialed it down three years later. But um, it, was, it was fun, and it is fun. I love it. I love that people are really able to get the full story now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just stand up at the bar, have a couple, you know, sips, which is what we always did for all those years. 40 years, actually, that was our tasting room bar, was stand up, taste, buy, you know, go. Mm -hmm. and, and while my mother thought it was, a, and it was, it was a brilliant business plan, um, because you don't have to have all that furniture, and you don't have to have 10 staff people. But I felt like the Willamette Valley was ready for something better. Like mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to elevate their experience, mm -hmm. the guest experience. So that's what happened there. Um, and uh, it's been going really well. And then five years later, I was like, hey, if things are moving in, in a good direction with that, I would like to pop out a little event space so that we can have dinners and do seminars and, um, and like take it to, the again, the next level and really do pairings and really celebrate this whole bounty of the Willamette mm -hmm. Valley again. And, um, and, we're, and we're doing it, and it's been great. And we don't use the space all the time, and no, I'm not about weddings. I'm, I mean, we do maybe a couple weddings a year, but it wasn't about weddings. It wasn't about that. It was about, well, they, you can make a lot of money doing weddings, by the way, but I, that was not the concept. The concept was, let's have a place where we can really show off. Um, again, it's always been about the valley. It's always been about the Willamette Valley and the agriculture here. So how do we do that? And, and now we have this place to do it. I mean, two weeks ago we had... I mean, this is sort of a dream. We had um, 25 culinary students from Denmark come out. Half of them are, quarter of them are psalms, some are servers, some of them are chefs. Um, and uh, they put on an amazing Nordic dinner for us. And it was like six courses. And, I mean, we, and, and they prepared the whole dinner. I mean, they were back there for two days 
prepping everything perfectly. I'd never seen anything like it. it was so amazing. And I mean, we had the guys in their chef hats. I mean, they dress like chefs. <laughs> they don't have tattoos or anything. Like they're like, the, you might have to cut that. Okay. Um, but they're like beautiful, um, talented young people. And we, were, we had a space to show off. Mm -hmm. And we had 50 guests come in and they were blown away. Mm -hmm. That was a pinnacle mm -hmm. experience. And that is why this, for me, uh, has some value. And they were raving about the Willamette Valley and the crops and how fresh everything was. And oh my God, it's so beautiful and so green. And the fish is right there an hour away. You know, <laughs> all that stuff that we hear every day. But they, sure. they, they were blown away. So you mentioned how you always have too many things going on, and I know some of it is that you are part of a lot of organizations in the industry uh, as well. So let's talk about a little bit about that. I know you mentioned the wine board earlier. Mm. Obviously, salute. Um, yeah. So some of the other things you, you do outside of the outside of the business. Okay. Well, I've always tried to be involved with um, the community. Uh, I think it's really important, and I guess I borrowed that from my mother. She passed that down. She's the one who's always been involved with everything. Um, but yeah, early on, the Oregon Wine Board for a long, long time, maybe seven-year term, it was too long. <laughs> um, it was fine. Um, the Willamette Valley Winers Association, I mean, Shehalem Mountain Vintners I've been involved with, Oregon Wine, um, not, the, not the Wine Growers Association, what's the other one? Willamette Valley Vineyards. Willamette Valley Vineyards, um, I've been involved with them for a little while. Um, Salute, a long time, I'm now the chair of that. And um, I have been involved with Travel Portland. I served a term with Travel Portland, trying to get them to acknowledge <laughs> that we have a wine industry next door. I don't know if it went very well. Um, and, and most recently, and probably my, most, my biggest accomplishment is that I'm on the Travel Oregon um, Commission. So I'm one of eight commissioners um, who represent Oregon uh, and Oregon tourism. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I'm the first Oregon winery that's on that commission. So that's really, really cool. Um, and then I think that's all my trade organizations. Um, I think that's it. Seems like it. Seems like enough. Yeah, I think that's it. And then, uh, and then I have a personal um, involvement with foster kids, and mm -hmm. so I've been on on the board for Casa, and um, I'm on the board of Project Lemonade. So I work with foster kids a lot. Yeah, that's another side of my life. <laughs> Very small one. <laughs> so I'm curious about. Um, <clears throat> Both, both Salude and uh, and Travel Oregon because yeah. they're kind of the, the unique in there. So tell me about so Salude and why that one is important to you. So yeah, so Salude, I think it's t 2001 started. I'm not sure on my date, um, but that was um, kind of an idea of my mother's that she, in talking to some of the doctors here in Hillsboro, um, about the fact that. The doctors love Oregon Pinot Noir, love our wines a lot, and there was just a simple dinner conversation about the fact that um, one reason the wines are so great is because the high quality requires um, people in the vineyards, and the fact that unfortunately they 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 don't get health care, they mm -hmm. don't have service medical services provided to them, and um, <clears throat> Hillsboro being a, a large community of Hispanic people. Uh, the doctors said, why don't we work together and create something where we can give back to this community? 
that you guys need and that I provide with um, for. So, so Salud was born and it was also a little bit of a nod to the Hospice de Bonne in Burgundy that they have every year, um, which again, it was almost the same kind of concept where there's a, an, a very lavish auction where the proceeds would go back to the, the local hospital there. Um, from all and and the cuvées were made from some of the best domains in the in the neighborhood. So that was that was kind of the idea behind Salud. Um, it was born and I think we started with 15 wineries, a little bit like me opening the tasting room here, like not sure if anyone was going to show, right? Because mm -hmm. it's it's a fundraiser for a very small group of people. It's vineyard workers, you know, in Oregon. It's not like taking care of yeah foster kids. It's like it's like a little little group. But um, because I think, probably because um, the quality of the wines was so high and the quality of the event was so high, it really started to attract um, big buyers and a lot of interest. And so it just kept growing and growing. And the idea was, um, in terms of providing services, is that the, there would be mobile vans that actually come to the vineyards themselves. And that was, um, I think, really an important part of the, of the program as well, that we weren't asking people to come to a clinic where sometimes there's intimidation, concern, all those things start to get uh, involved. Um, and you know, over the many years, we've really been able to provide so many services to not just the vineyard workers, but now to their families. Mm -hmm. And um, interestingly, um, we're under a second generation now, so a lot of the workers, uh, kids who have been cared for through Salud Services are now working either in the vineyards or they've gone on to do something else and they're, they're, they're in involved in donating to mm -hmm. Salud. <laughs> they're buying. So, so it's just this whole thing has, has moved into the next generation and, it, and it's just, it's um, something that has become uh, sort of a, a, a part of our foundation, you know, mm -hmm. of this industry, mm -hmm. of this community, I should say, because we are so dependent on on those people to be working in our vineyards. You know, labor is, is paramount for the quality of wines that we're making. We um, have felt that uh, labor is becoming an issue. I'm sure that you've been hearing that um, around the valley. Um, and so providing these services now is like more important than ever mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, so Salute is, is something that's near and dear to the family and, and to my mother in particular, but mm -hmm. passed along to me, I think. So yeah, Salud's important. And then I guess the Travel Oregon piece is just an opportunity to um, learn more about what the rest of the state's all about. You know, I've been pretty focused on this valley <laughs> um, my whole life. So uh, actually this weekend I'm going to Joseph and oh, wow. uh, it's like, yeah, Way it's like out. gonna be so cool. Um, and, um, but I'm hoping that I can bring the message of um, how important it is it to care for our land, mm -hmm. to the travel experience, and to tourism, and to maintaining all this beautiful um, land that we've been able to preserve for so many generations. I'm really, I mean, I'm hoping that we don't attract so many people to this state that we lose sight of, again, the kind of the pillars of this of the state, which is to maintain its green and the forest and the and the ocean and all those great <laughs> things that we count on, you know, mm -hmm. the mountains. So, so that's my message for Travel Oregon and just, and also just to continue to tell the story, my, my Oregon wine story, which is always about stewardship of the land and how to, how to um, you know, create a business that 
can, can be great for many, many people, not just for your own self business, but for the people who work for you, but the community that you work within. But then it can also be um, sustainable for future generations if you do it right, mm -hmm. you know, so keeping those things in mind. So I know that you, we've, when we've spoken before, you have been working on memoirs now for a few years. <laughs> so tell me how that project is going and, and what, why you think it's important to, for yeah. your history to be told. Thank you for asking about that. <laughs> um, it was such a cool day when I went down there. It was so cool. Um, well, reality is I have completed a manuscript for better or for worse, it, it's, it's a closed deal. And uh, I have been working with an editor and I'm sending it out to a publisher over the next couple of months. Awesome. I'm working on that right now. The, the, my work has taken on many paths. Um, you know, originally I wanted to just profile, um, you know, the pioneers. Hmm. I'm, just, I'm just still in awe of what they did here. It, I mean, like you, I'm sure. And I, I, uh, I want to make sure that their story's told. And I, so yeah, so I did these interviews uh, many years ago with some of the, uh, about 25 of the original pioneers, many of them who are no longer um, in, in the industry anymore. They've moved on. And I, I had their stories, and I was just going to do it journal story and just like profile each of them and be done with it. Be done <laughs> and do my job. Um, and then I met somebody who said, I don't find that very interesting. I think that you should make it more interesting to more people. Um, why don't you put yourself in, into the story? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm so not, I'm not interesting. So that's like, you know, there's no like, you know, there's no drama here. So it's not going to be a great book. Um, but I was, a couple other people kind of convinced me to, to, to try that hand, which was a whole different way of writing, by the way, for me, because I was very much like mm -hmm. journalism writing. Um, and now I had to like build scenes. I'm like, well, how do I do that? Um, so anyway, it's sort of taken its way into a memoir, which is really weird, because I still don't think that I'm worthy of a memoir. But, I, but the intention of the memoir is to, is to shed light on the story. And I'm hoping through this memoir that I'm shedding some story, um, some light on the stories of the people, um, even though it's in a much um, more minor role than I would have liked, it's still there. And then I think it will take people on a tour, kind of a journey through the the origins of, of how the wine or how the industry got started. And then I have plans to do a second one because because <laughs> I think that I think my because I'm not getting enough out of this one, and I want to share the woman's story. Mm -hmm. um, and not just because it's all about women these days, but, but, but I do, the more I think about it, the more I think there's a story that hasn't been told. And so many of the women that were here when I was a kid, aren't, um, they're not here anymore. I mean, Diana Lett is here, thank God, you know, but she's not, I don't think she's writing the book. Nancy's not gonna write the book. Um, and so many other women have left the industry. And I feel like I, I kind of, that's kind of on me because I, I witnessed it. I was around the women a lot more than the guys. I, I saw how hard they worked. I, as a mother now, um, I appreciate how much they did to take care of kids, but also all this is blah, blah, blah. It's the woman's story. <laughs> and I just think that that's a, a, uh, an interesting take on the industry too that you know, sometimes isn't shared. Mm. So don't steal my idea. I'm, You're just gonna jump I, in there. 
I, I have uh, keyed all the research in my archives. So I just, just, <laughs> just go grab archives again. I mean, when we spoke, that was something you had mentioned was the I, story. Yeah. And, and that okay. is definitely untold for the most part so far. Mm -hmm. So that'll be an amazing piece when we'll you guys see it. Yeah. If we can get to that. But, but yeah, it's been really fun um, doing some research and digging in. And, I, and maybe like you or maybe not, but I've found that there's just not a lot of history, you know, because they weren't thinking about this. Mm -hmm. They were thinking about everything else. And so um, to have the pieces, some of the pieces that you have, it's just remarkable, you know. Thank you, Myron, right? <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, good guy. So we've covered a lot of things that you've accomplished here today. Is there something you would say you're proudest of, uh, an accomplishment here, either personally or, or for the business? Oh, proudest of, well, I think I'm, I don't know if it's a personal pride, but I, I'm really proud of what we've done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud of everyone. You know, I, I'm proud of, um, I'm gonna get choked up. Sorry. <laughs> I always cry when I talk about it, because it's, it's phenomenal what they did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just, and it's not just, it's not, it's not like our family did it. It's everybody did it together. Mm -hmm. And I think, I wish I could talk because it's really important that we all brought each other up. And um, it wasn't like one person. I mean, we talk about David Lett a lot, but it's like, it wasn't just David. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Marge Volstick over here in Hillsborough writing to the Chamber of Commerce and saying, we should do a passport weekend. Mm -hmm. People don't even know about Marge Volstick. I mean, what she did was bring people out into this valley to tour and, and taste wines out of barrel. Mm -hmm. What is that? It's 1975. Like, who is doing that? You know, her idea. And then there's like this other gal, Corinne um, uh, Gross, mm -hmm. um, who passed away, unfortunately. And she would have dinners at her place. And she was trying to teach people about food and wine and how the wine really works with the food. I mean, that all these little things that we all did and Myron running around and finding glue pellets for us all the way over here in Washington County and running them over and like us taking the, you know, the disc over to Adelsheim or Erath. I mean, we did it together. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool that we all went for the same thing. Like that we all, they all, whatever, had the same vision to do good by the earth and make a great product and then tell the world about it. Mm -hmm. And nobody was selfish. Nobody in those early days, nobody was, it wasn't about them. They wanted everybody to know what we were doing here. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful thing that they wanted to share it with the world. You know, I love that. I just love the story. Mm -hmm. And that's so, yeah. So I'm proud of, of everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just lucky I got to, I was just in the station wagon in the back seat, you know, <laughs> coming up the road. And all right, I got to have fun with it. So I feel lucky. Yeah, it's definitely a great story. It's what keeps us all engaged in this, of course. So. Yeah, well, we're believers. <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy from Texas, I'll never forget this, and uh, a Texas distributor, and I had to tell an Oregon story, and it's like this whole collaborative spirit, you know. And he comes up, everyone's gone, he comes up and goes, I'm just, I'm just not really sure about something. And I said, what's going on? He says, well, you guys, you're all so nice to each other. <laughs> like, aren't you competing with each other? And I said, 
I mean, I suppose we are, but we've never felt that way. And he said, you just, you just seem like you're always talking about the other, the other you know, winery and these other people, and I just wonder, how do you guys ever compete? And it just, it really landed in my head, because I thought, how do we do that? You know, how do we compete, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I go into the market and I see Lang Winery, and, and you know, it's like, is it gonna be Ponzi Pinot Gris or Lang Pinot Gris? And I, you know what I do? Those Langs are so awesome. Jesse is such a great guy. His wines are great. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're gonna lose Pinot Gris. But I don't care. There's always another Pinot Gris sale. And I love the Langs, and they're working hard, and I believe in them, and I believe in all these other people. So while we're competing, it's, 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 I don't, I've never seen it as, as that. I've seen it as we're just all in this thing together. And it's, it's awesome. So, yeah, enough on that, but I, I'll never forget that Texan guy. He was just like completely baffled. He was just like, <laughs> I don't understand this. Because <laughs> we're down there and we're like cutthroat. We're like, see <laughs> off my turf. You talked about um, sort of being in a struggle right now with kind of figuring out marketing and sales, yeah. kind of finding your niche. So, what do you see for as you kind of look into the future for your role in the next five, 10 years and, and sort of finding your place? Um, a lot of strategic planning going on right now, how we move forward. Um, I haven't quite figured it out. I think it's a little bit of what I said before, where I think you have to kind of balance it out a little bit. You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit, possibly, mm. more than, than is your typical comfort zone. Mm. Um, but I think it's, as I said before, I think though it is, it's, it's, it's my responsibility, our responsibility as one of the original brands, wineries, to to, to keep doing what we do and, and do it well, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not up for like just selling out, you know, and um, forgetting about all those amazing values that our parents put into place. Um, but it's, it's, you have to be realistic, because if you're not realistic, you, you won't make it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be realistic about it. You know, one neat um, thing that we, um, we just started, um, I guess this, this was my idea too. It's uh, kind of fun, I keep thinking of things that I did. Um, is we created um, the 2GV, which is um, second generation vintners, mm -hmm. which is, Myself and Louisa and um, Alex and Allison Blosser, mm -hmm. and then Adam and his sister Anna Campbell from Elk Cove. We all got together. Um, I guess I started, I called Allison once, it was a couple of years ago, and I was like, hey, I'm really confused. I don't know, how do I hire a chef? I think that's why I called her. Um, but anyway, we started having a conversation. I said, God, we should talk more. And, you know, because they're really sort of on par where we are working with a sibling. I mean, they're larger than we are, but still on a volume scale. They grew their tasting room. We had a lot of things in common. And she said, we really should. And, and I said, what do you think about bringing in Adam? Because he's kind of, in, he's way over here in Forest Grove, you know. Um, he's dealing with a lot of the same things. You know, we're international, we're distributing all over the place, all this kind of stuff. And so we sat down with our siblings and we had the best two hours. We just had lunch together and it was just like, wow, this is great. And it hit me, this is what our parents did. Mm -hmm. Sat at a table and we started sharing ideas and we're like, oh, I get you, I get you, I get you. How do we do this? How do we conquer this? I'm good at this, I'm good at that, I'm good at that. Um, 
And we, we, we started doing that every six months, getting together and realizing, all of us were realizing that we look forward to those meetings. Like we don't look forward to any meetings really <laughs> anymore. But those ones that we were like, okay, I'm gonna be a blaster on Tuesday. So then we were sitting around and Allison said to me, she said, um, I think we should make a wine together. <laughs> and I said, you're crazy, man. <laughs> I don't want to make another wine together. But so we made a wine together. We made a cuvee and we um, each winemaker shared one of our family estate. Uh, the fruit from family estate was shared to the other winemakers and they each made a cuvee and then we did a, a blend together. So three different AVAs, three different winemakers um, from three family vineyards and uh, we crafted a single cuvee and we call it the 2GV cuvee, Pinot Noir cuvee. And it's all going to charity. We're selling it some in-house, but mainly it's all going to charity. But it's really an opportunity for us to tell the story of the second generation mm -hmm. and talk about the roots and talk about this is the Willamette Valley. This is the true Willamette Valley. Like this is, this is the origin of it. And, um, and we are having so much fun hanging out together. And we went to New York and launched it and had a press release over there, um, media release over there. And, and uh, we had a few people show up. <laughs> we had like 25 people show up and it. It was more, um, my, my opening remarks were more about um, family business and the lack of family business in this country mm -hmm. and, and the lack of, of, of nurturing that, mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, and the importance of it. So we kind of took that tack and then we moved it into the, the Oregon wine thing. So. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's one way we're, Tackling, I think the future is doing it a bit together now. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that we have shared um, values and we also are, uh, we have responsibility, we have a third generation to consider um, and all those things. So we, uh, we have a lot in common and we're solving problems together a little bit now, which has been good. It's not, you don't feel so alone. Sure, <laughs> sure. As you look into the future for Ponzi then, are there any upcoming projects or things you're excited about here? Um, well, I'm kind of ready to settle in and just kind of get used to our new digs and um, how it all works. We might be, um, I mean, for us it's always, we would like to have more vineyards of our own. You know, we, we, own, we farm about 140 acres, but we'd like to have a little bit more just so we're a little more self-contained, um, self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always that. Um, other projects, I mean, Luis is working with Sparkling Wines now, mm -hmm. which is really fun. Um, we're all about trying to retain the quality of our wines with the, the, the climate change. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, you know, we might change some labels here or there. We might, we might, we're kind of talking about doing some different things with, with the line, but um, nothing's been decided. So we're always thinking of things. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to not. It's very hard to just stop. <laughs> <laughs> even when you want to. Even when you want, even when you'd like to, yeah, yeah. But no, nothing, nothing too grand. I mean, well, it's our 50th anniversary next year. I guess that is grand. That's pretty grand. That's a big deal. I haven't really planned it, so maybe that, <laughs> I think that I probably should do that. That's what I should be doing right now. Um, yeah, so we'll have our 50th anniversary next year. So cool. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot going on there. So. Yeah. What about as you look into the future for Oregon wine in general? Do, what do you see as you look down the road? You talk about competitiveness now and, and kind of the, yeah. the difficulty of, of marketing. What, what, what do you see happening in the industry in the next decade? Well, I'd like to say that it's all rosy, but I don't think that it is anymore. I used to kind of hold out faith, but I'm, I, I, I think it's going to change. Um, we've been discovered. 
<laughs> we're discovered. People know we're here. We have to protect our values. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, people are coming in with the wrong reasons. People are coming in thinking pocketbook instead of thinking about all these other things we talked about. Um, and that was gonna happen at some point. It's just here, here pretty quick. Um, land use laws are important. Let's protect our land use laws. And we have to try to maintain some integrity. And I think inherently um, the really great winemakers will remain great winemakers. Mm -hmm. And the market will figure that out. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of a rocky shake right now. I think we're into a little bit of a storm for probably five years. Mm. I think we're either going to put our, we're in it, or we're going to get out of it. Mm. I think we're going to feel that. I think, I feel this because this is how it felt a little bit when we had our brewery. You know, we had our microbrewery and, mm. and we were the first microbrewery. And then like 10 years in, it was like, whoa, everyone's here. And like people are buying little brands here and there. And we had to make the decision for the brewery, are we gonna stay in, are we gonna white flag it? And we white flagged it, and I'm glad we did, because um, we, we could do this again. But I feel like that's what's gonna happen in this valley. Mm. I think that we have so many small producers, and I think almost too many, to be able to hold on. Um, I mean, small producers are great because regionally it works, but nationally and internationally it doesn't work. And so my concern, and my concern has always been this, that we have so many small producers that we, we can't keep telling the story if we're all too small to get out of McMinnville. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we have to have big wings, and that's why Blosser has been so great for better or for worse, whatever you think about their brand, they are a founding brand that has had enough volume to get them to go to Japan and go to China and go all over the world and tell the story. I don't know if they're selling wine or not, but I don't, I don't know about that. But, but what I do know is they, they are telling that story all the time, all over the world. And that is pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Not just for, for their business or my business or industry, but for the state's economy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that has been a little short-sighted for possibly too long, is that, well, I can make my 5,000 cases in Oregon and it's just the two of us or what, or, you know, I'm being kind of flip here, but, but the point is it's been a little bit, um, I, I don't know, not thinking big enough. Not thinking big enough. Um, and I'm not saying you need to, you know, make bad wine or be bulk wine and all that. You just have to think bigger mm -hmm. so that we can um, have some power. Because like now we don't have a lot of power. <laughs> you know, we only have like a couple big engines out there. We're out at Valley Wineries, you know, A to Z. But we don't have a lot of powerhouses. And if you don't have powerhouses, you're going to get taken over fast. Mm -hmm. And I, I worry for the industry because of that. I think we were playing around and having a lot of fun, maybe a little too long. And we needed some serious people to come in. And thank you to A to Z and thank you to King Estate and to Willamette Valley Vineyards for being a bit bigger. I mean, people didn't really like them when they came in, perhaps, but, but to be honest, um, 
they've they've made it easy for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So we have to we have to recognize that. So yeah, I think it's going to be a rough a rough road. I think it's going to be a rough road, but um, we're, we're determined. You know, we're tough, so we'll stay in <laughs> as long as we can. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, given that, is that bleak? Am I the only one who's being uh, bleak? Oh yikes! We get, we get a we get a wide range of answers, but it's uh, mm -hmm. lately we've heard a bit more kind of stormy waters coming. So uh, no, you're not 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 the only bleak. Given that, what, what would your advice be to someone who wanted into the Oregon wine industry today? I hope you're coming with a lot of money, bud. It is hard to keep up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. And you will be keeping up with the Joneses. Um, know what you're doing. Uh, come with some experience. Um, know that you've got to be in for the long haul. Um, because this, this short-term thing, I don't know. You're just going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> so plan for long-term. Come with some experience. Um, don't be you know, all rosy glasses, because this is a very complex business. I honestly think it's one of the most complicated. It, it is from start to finish. <laughs> you know, It's agriculture. Hello. Let's start there. Um, and then you've got to like dance through all this other stuff. You have to appeal to so many people. I'm talking marketing again, but you do have to appeal to lots of different people. Mm -hmm. um, you have to do all these things. You have to, you know, sell your wine directly. You have to possibly have a wine club. You know, you should have a taste room. You have to have a website. You know, um, you have to know how to how to entertain. Okay, so if you don't know how to entertain, figure out how you're going to entertain, you know. I mean, you're going to have to put on a show. You have to be a little bit of a showman, showgirl, because you're going to do wine dinners and you're going to be on stage. You've got a little celebrity going. You have to be many things and be ready for that. Um, be ready for giving up your life because you have to just live and breathe this thing. Um, because guess what? You're in the social business. I can't tell you how many people, my friends, my friends that know me will say, hey, I'm coming to the winery on Saturday. Are you going to be there? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's my weekend. Saturday's when I don't go to the winery. Oh, well, we're going to go wine tasting. Right. I taste wine all week. I'm done. <laughs> but people think, right, they, the, the, the idea is that this is always fun. We're always just having fun. But at some point, gosh, you know what? Actually, it's work. So it's... Um, so be ready. Be ready for all that's going to come at you because what could be fun right now um, may not be as fun later on. And sales is hard. And sales isn't pretty anymore. Sales is cutthroat and it's price points and it's, they talk about boxes. They don't talk about wine. They talk about skews. They don't talk about Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. It's ugly on the other side. And that yet is part of it. You mm -hmm. have to be able to know that you're, you're, you're in business. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. What would I say to them? Good luck. I would say I would love to consult with you. It'll cost you $500 an hour. No. <laughs> Cut that out too. <laughs> No, I think, I think just know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. A lot of people come in this, this industry without any business plan. Mm -hmm. I'm always blown away by that. I think we, my mother always says, we must make it look so easy. 
And I kind of, I'm believing that now. It's like, oh, all these little cute little families, they, they managed to do this whole thing. It's, it must be so easy. Um, they have no idea. Um, but, but I think like, come with a plan. Like, come with a real plan. Like, plan, are you, do you have enough money to, to plant a vineyard and then wait seven years? Okay, there's something to think about. How much money does it cost to plant a vineyard and then you, you have enough money to hold on for five years? Okay, if you can, then you're good. First clock, you got the first box, you know, and then all these other things. So, it's tough business. The bankers are just always like, how does this work? You're selling what vintage now? And why are you holding so much inventory? Right? Think about, think about the most basic business. You make cookies, okay? Here's my chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I'm gonna make 500 cookies for Sunday. They're all gone on Sunday. Awesome, I could go make more, because I know next Sunday I'll make, you know, if I'm sold out, I can make more. But in the wine business, here's your 16 vintage. You made 500 cases, that's all you made. You either sold it out or you didn't sell it out. Doesn't mean that you get another chance to do it again because now it's a 17 vintage which is down 30% or it increased 30%, so oh, there's that. So your business plan just got mucked up based on, you know what I'm saying? So that's why you have to have history um, and many, 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 many years and many, many vintages um, to figure out how you're gonna forecast. And it's never right. I wanna tell you a funny story, Rex Hill. I don't know if you know, but Paul Hart was a banker before he's, okay, you were interviewed him, right? So I don't know, but he told me, he said, you know, he's finally sold his business. I said, why are you selling? He said, because I can never get the business, the, the, my business plan never worked. The numbers never matched, and I'm a banker, and the numbers need to match, you know? And I just thought about that. I'm like, oh my God, that must drive you crazy, because you're always changing stuff. It's never the same thing twice, ever, 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 ever or even three times. I mean, it's just always different. But I remember that used to kill him. So it was just, <laughs> I have a plan. Now we're going to march the plan. It's like, no, you're not. Okay. No, okay. No, didn't work. Didn't work. So it's funny. Yeah. Long, long answer to a quick it's question. It's a great answer. Though. It's an important <laughs> answer because that is true. Uh, everything you said is true. So. Yeah. Do you guys have anything? Oh, I actually do. You do? Okay, hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Get a microphone. You got a lot of work to do over there, edit. <laughs> I was just curious about your background in marketing because I'm super interested in that side of the oh. industry. So like, what were, your, what were your steps for that and how did you tie it back into that? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I didn't have like probably the best background for marketing. It's probably one of my um, uh, weaknesses. Like I don't have an MBA and I would like to have one. Um, but now I'm too old. But the marketing is really important. Here's what I would say is that we don't have enough people in the wine industry in marketing, especially in this region, and we need them. We really do need them. Social media, I hear you're doing some of that. And that's like something I, I'm constantly looking at. I'm like, why can't wineries get their social media together? Well, we just don't really have good marketing direction. We don't we've been kind of built from the top down, meaning the winemaker down. You know, it's not always the business. People come into this, they don't think of it as a business. They think it for so many years, they've thought of it as like, 
I want to be a winemaker or I want to, I want to have a vineyard. Mm -hmm. And then they work down as opposed to, I want to have a winery. I want to have a business that's a winery. And how do I do that? Well, I get a marketing director and I get all these people in place for my base and then I can do all the other stuff. So it's a little been, it's been a little backwards. Um, for me, it's been just learning on the job. So I don't have a good answer because I've just been learning on the job. But I think that um, uh, in terms of training, if I were to go do it again, I would definitely take marketing okay. classes instead of journalism classes. Well, we all know where journalism went, but, but I would definitely take marketing classes. I think that that would be really um, important. But also, I think understanding how the sales side works, how do the distribution side works, because again, that's a pretty interesting um, uh, department of this uh, area of this industry too, where we have a three-tier system. So we have the winery, and then we have the distributor, and then we have the buyer. And so how, we, how the winery works with the distributor, or the wholesaler is really important. So knowing how, how they operate, mm -hmm. How, how do they price their products? You know, you sell it to them, but then how do they price it out? Things like that would okay. be really interesting, I think, for a marketer to understand how it actually gets moved around. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So no more about sales than just marketing, I think, would be helpful. Awesome. Work for wineries. Yeah. Working on it. Are you? <laughs> I do. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm sure that there are a lot of wineries who are looking for marketing assistance and... Um, I know we would love an intern, a marketing intern. Not this year, I already have one. <laughs> but yeah, I've got a guy right now um, who's from Washington University and he's studying economics and he's um, in our marketing internship position right now. He's doing a whole um, analysis on me on um, second labels and second tiers, like mm. not second tiers, but second lines and how they work and mm. do they work and all that kind of stuff. Pretty fascinating stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions that we have. Uh, okay. Thank you so thank much. You. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about at the end here? Anything else you'd like to mention? Um, no, I don't think so. You guys got it all. You even made me cry. That was really good. You <laughs> nailed bad. it on that. I always cry on that one. Um, no, just thank you. Yeah. I mean, thanks for your interest. I, that's it's great. I, I hope you continue to do these interviews and talk to lots of people. Us, us too. Lots of, <laughs> lots of different components to this thing. So. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate okay. your time and your yeah. answers. And sure. uh, we'll let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.